Well, good morning. We are in our second to last installment of our Far Better series, and and since Christmas, we have been talking about how the life that is offered to us through a relationship with Jesus is far better than the life that this world could offer, and so that's why we have called this series Far Better. On the church calendar, in the church year, this season is called Epiphany, um, which essentially means that Christ is revealed to us. I was talking with someone the other day about the meaning of epiphany, and, and I kind of described it in a way where the light bulb goes off, right? Uh, we, when we've been in a moment where we've been trying to consider and ponder something, all of a sudden the, the light bulb clicks on. And so over the last several weeks, we have been reading through what's called the Sermon on the Mount, which is not one isolated sermon, but in fact, the author, Matthew, took all of the different teachings and um, just messages that Christ gave over the entire course of his ministry and condensed them into just a few chapters that we get in uh, the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, So if you'd like to turn there, um, we'll be in Matthew chapter 5 this morning. Um, Many people refer to this section of scripture as the manifesto of the kingdom of God. Um, That if there were just a few chapters that we were able to select from scripture to really know what Christ wants to say to us, it is these couple of chapters in Matthew. Um, And so we're going to be there again this morning like we have been over the last few weeks. Um, I would encourage you to allow Christ's words to impact your life this morning. Um, I I really do believe that he has something to say to us. I I really, really do. And so my prayer is that you would um, open up to what he might have to say to you. Uh, So like we do every week, would you stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 5, starting at verse 38 together. It says, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you. Do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You can have a seat. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, your word has gone out, and Lord, we pray that it would not come back void. Lord, all over the world, churches are looking at this passage of scripture, 
these 10 or so verses. And so, Lord, we ask that your presence would be near to every one of those churches, that this message of love would ring out in our world. And, Lord, we ask that the same would be done here in Joliet, Illinois, as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we talked about how we are co-laborers with Jesus Christ. Um, we, we talked about how God's dreams are to become our ideas. Um, and, and don't just stay dreams, but that they actually become realities and our ideas. And so um, we talked about what it looks like for us to be on mission, not for God, but with God. Um, God is on the move, and, uh, and he will continue to be on the move and we have the privilege of joining him in that. This morning, what Jesus wants to say to us, I feel, and what, what we will find in Scripture, is what that actually looks like. What we can expect when we join Christ in his mission. Um, and so we look at the first couple of verses here. I want to draw your attention to two different verses, two different things that are going on in this passage just to explain some of the context that's taking place, what's actually being said. Um, The first is verse 39, where it says, um, if someone were to slap you on the right cheek, that you were to turn uh, your other cheek to them as well. Um, This is what's actually being said there, and, and there is an emphasis on the right cheek as opposed to the left. And, and, and here's why. Jesus is, is speaking under an assumption that the, the hypothetical person that would be doing the smacking, the slapping, is using their right hand. You, are you with me so far? And if, if I am hitting someone, and if I were to hit them on the right cheek, then I would have to do one of two things physically. I would either have to do this, and hit them this way, which would not be really effective, although this isn't a lesson on self-defense, um, or, or, or I would do this. And this is what Jesus is, is presuming here, is that you would actually be using the back of your hand in order to strike the right cheek. And this is why that is so significant. This is why Jesus says, if someone were to hit you on the right cheek, because if you were to be hit on the right cheek, your right cheek, that means that you would have been hit with the back of someone's hand. And in, and in this day, being hit with the back of a hand was seen as 10 times more humiliating than if you were to be hit with, with the palm. Now, I don't know how often this took place. I don't know in what situations this were to take place. Um, I do know that, unfortunately, people still hit each other. And so we can only assume that this happened in this day as well. And, and what is being said is that if you are humiliated in such an absurd way, then you are to give them your other cheek as well. That, that you are supposed to endure even more humiliation. That's what Jesus is saying here. 
I also want to bring your attention to verse 40, where, where Jesus talks about how um, one could be sued for their shirt as well as their coat. Um, in, in this day, those would have been more referred to as tunics and cloaks. Um, you, you may have heard that language used before. A tunic is, is what we would know to be just a shirt, an, an overshirt. And the cloak or the coat is something that was one garment and it was actually worn closest to the skin. And, and this was something that you would put on like a shirt, but it would actually go down below the knee. Both men and women wore this garment. And so what Jesus is saying here is that if someone asks you for your, your shirt, your, your tunic, your outer layer, if someone were to sue you for that or ask for that, you are not only supposed to give them that, but you are supposed to give them your, your undershirt, essentially, as well. So you are supposed to take that, that next step. And in fact, Jesus also uses the language of going two miles, even though you are asked to go for one. And so what Jesus is saying here, essentially, when we boil this down, is that if you are to accept the call of being a co-laborer, then you can expect these things to happen. Now, now I don't know if we should necessarily expect to walk out of these doors this afternoon and to be smacked on our right cheek. I, 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 don't, think, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying, and therefore, I don't think we should wait <laughs> for us to be smacked in order to express such humility and kindness. Would you agree? Um, I, you know, it, it, it is not my hope for you that someone hits you in order for you to actually live this out. And, and yet, Jesus wants us to learn something here. And so I want to um, highlight three different things that Jesus is saying in these first few verses. Um, for you note takers, I'm going to be talking about three different things that he is saying in verses 38 through 42. Uh, the, the first is this, that Jesus is inviting us into his dreams, the, the dreams that we talked about last week. He is inviting us into his mission, and even more profoundly, he is inviting us into his story. Now, as, as just a reminder, um, these words were actually written after Jesus ascended, right, in, into heaven. He had his ministry, um, and Matthew sat down, and he kind of wrote down a compilation of Jesus' teachings. And so, Matthew is writing these down after the fact. And so, the, so Jesus is inviting us into the, the humiliation and, and the stripped downness that Christ himself experienced as well. And so, as it was revealed to me this last week, I realized that last week I said amen to being a co-laborer. I said, I am in, I'm bought in. And, and what I actually realized was that I, say, I said amen to this. I, I, I opened myself up to this. And, and if you joined me last week in, in saying amen to being a co-laborer with Jesus Christ, then we actually said amen to this. And, and we actually said amen to the second thing that I want to highlight, which is what we end up calling the ministry. This is ministry. You to continually put yourself out there, you continually to give yourself 
up of yourself, to be humiliated, to be, to be stripped down in a hypothetical sense, and for that to be the end, for, for that to be it. I, I think we do a, a disservice to those who we call our pastors, and, and I'm one of them, right, here. Um, I, I, think, I think we do a disservice to those, and I'm just going to be very blunt, to those who get paid to work at churches. Are you following with me? I, I think a lot of times, and, and I have been on the other side of the pulpit, right? Um, I, I have been just a, you know, someone who attends church. And I think oftentimes we, we think that just like the, the corporate world, that if you're getting paid to do something, then, then that is your job and that I should not have to do what you are doing. I, I, don't, I don't walk into Walmart and stock shelves. I don't, right? Because I'm not employed by Walmart. Um, I, I, don't, I don't walk into Target and, and people don't flock up to me and say, hey, are, are, do you have any more of this? Right? That, that doesn't happen. Um, that happened once. I wore a red shirt and khakis to Target. But have we not brought that culture into this place? That if you are on staff, that if you are a pastor, that you, I, am supposed to be the one that does all of this stuff in here. Not the case. Not the case. And in fact, if you said amen to being a co-laborer with Christ, if that was something that energized you last week, then you said yes to whatever we call the ministry. You said amen. You said yes to the, to the counseling sessions, to, to the one-on-one vent sessions. You said yes to being the one who gets called up and says, hey, can you help me move a piece of furniture? That's what you said amen to and a host of other things because that's what ministry is. That is what being a co-laborer with Christ is. And so that's the second thing is that we are being exposed to and revealed to what can, what can potentially happen as we are a co-laborer. And the third is this, that those who accept this call will end up getting hurt. It's just, it's just how it goes. And, and why should we expect anything different than the one who came to save us and died on a cross in order to do it? that we would not be humiliated just the same. Uh, there's, there's something I would, I'd like to share with you. That saying yes to being a co-laborer with Christ is the greatest risk that one could take. But it yields the greatest re- reward that anyone could ever receive. Saying yes to being a co-laborer with Jesus Christ is by far the greatest risk that anyone in this room could ever take. And yet, it yields the greatest reward that you could receive. Now, these are not the same rewards as the world gives. If I perform well at my job, I get a raise, right? If, if I execute my task list, I get an award. I get employee of the month. I get the raise. I get the paid time off. That is not how the kingdom of God operates, My reward as a co-laborer is when your life is flourishing 
And in the same way, your reward is when the neighbor, your neighbor, the person sitting across the pew from you right now, when their life is flourishing, not necessarily yours. That is, that is what is happening as co-laborers on this earth. Jesus had no place to lay his head, is what we read in Scripture. Now, now you would think that after all of the miracles, all of the different healings, that someone would have said, thank you for healing my friend. I would love for you to have this house, right? Or something. I would, love, I would love to give you this wardrobe, right? I would love to, to give you this, this tailored set of clothing and, and sandals. But what we read in Scripture is that Christ had none of the worldly amenities that we so often desire. And yet we can only look at his actions. This is the one saying, if you get humiliated, then give them the other one as well. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, before I go any further, I, I think it would be fair to ask the question, well, who is Jesus actually talking to? Because if you're anything like me, I asked myself as I was preparing for this morning, surely he's not asking this of me, right? Surely I'm not the one. Surely that there were Pharisees in this crowd, right? This is who Jesus is talking to. He is talking to anyone who has an interest in seeing the kingdom of God in heaven become the same on earth. That's who Jesus is talking to. If that is you this morning, then he is talking to you. Anyone who has the burning passion, the interest of seeing God's kingdom in heaven done the same on earth. That's who Jesus is talking to this morning. And that's what is revealed to us in just those first couple of verses. Now, I, I want us to look to this next section of verses, uh, starting at verse 43. What Jesus is revealing in this part of Scripture is our story. The, the first couple of verses, he reveals what he experienced, the, the different things that he had to do while he, while he served and healed and brought down the kingdom, in, in this second section, starting at verse 43, he is revealing to ourselves our story. Because in fact, we have been the ones who have hated our enemies. We have been the ones who have only loved those who we know will return that love. We have been the ones who have only greeted those that we find to be similar with, that we feel most comfortable with. In, in many hypothetical ways, it has been us that has humiliated others. In, in many hypothetical ways, it has been us that have stripped others of all they were worth and all that they had. And so in a matter of sentences... What Jesus does is he reveals his ministry and at the same time reveals that it was us who needed ministering to. In this section of scripture, we realize how quickly we forget that it was us who once needed saving. By the very fact I'm going to get a little into the Old Testament for a minute. 
Um, the, the first couple of uh, books of the Bible, Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, and it continues on, um, it talks about this group of people, the nation of Israel. We've talked about them before. Um, God's chosen people. At one time, God's chosen people were enslaved in Egypt. God's people who were set apart for the purposes of God were enslaved, which is a little counterintuitive, but nonetheless, the reality. And God, through several of his servants, including Moses, led that nation of people out of slavery, redeemed them from their slavery. Now, there's a lot of history that takes place in there, but I do want to say this. By the very fact that you are sitting in this room this morning, those are your descendants. You see, we are all descendants of a former nation of people that were enslaved. We claim the slavery just like we claim the freedom. You cannot claim the freedom without claiming the slavery as well. Without being able to admit that you were in a place in your life where you needed to be freed from something. Without being able to admit that maybe even today there is something that is weighing you down and getting in the way between you and a flourishing relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe there's something this morning that you need to be saved from. And what Jesus is saying, starting at verse 43 and continuing on, is that we were once slaves in Egypt. We once had chains that held us down. But he has broken those chains. And he has freed us. But let us not forget where we've come from. So in light of all of this, in, in, light of, in, in light of saying what he has done for us, in, in light of saying what we can expect to happen while we are co-laborers with Christ, and in light of him revealing to us what we have done, Jesus gives this command that has intimidated Christians since the day it was given. Verse 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. That rattles me to the core. I don't know about you. That rattles me to the core. There are other translations, and and what we read in the Old Testament is God saying, Be holy, as your Father in heaven is holy. This is what I want to say to you this morning. This is not something that is meant to turn you away from God. It really is something, now believe me when I say this, it really is something that is meant to draw you closer to him. When God says, be holy as I am holy, he is actually inviting you into his story. He is inviting you into his story. Holiness And him even uttering this command, which we get as early as the book of Genesis, is that this is possible. Would he not say this to us if it weren't possible? He would never give us something that we could not do. Now, I will say this. 
There is not another God that is worshipped in this universe that gives such an invitation. I'm not here to talk about those other gods. I'm not here to discredit them. But I am here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. And there is not another invitation that is given from any deity that is worshipped on this planet that offers us an invitation into the story of our creator. This is an invitation. This is God saying to us that our salvation is fully realized. This is our blessed assurance. God is saying, not only do I want to restore you, but I want you to be like me. I don't just want to restore you to being a good, well-to-do human. No, I want you to be God-like. I want you to be Christ-like. I want to restore you so that you can be like me. That is what God is saying in this invitation. He is saying, I not only want to forgive you of your past actions, but now I want your actions to look like mine. I want the things that you do to look like the things that my son, Jesus, did. And God says, I will take your old story that may or may not have had very little purpose, and I will give you a new story. I will write you a new chapter that gives you a purpose that has withstood the test of time to see others transformed and renewed and restored into the image of the Son. The salvation that we claim goes hand in hand with the mission of God. If you're a note taker, write that down. Our salvation goes hand in hand with God's mission. They are not to be separated. If you have been redeemed, if you have been forgiven, if God has changed your life, then you just got adopted into the mission of God. That's what Jesus is saying here. Be holy as I am holy. The the first question that I ask God is why? Why me? Why are you calling me to such a thing, to such a holiness? Um, You you, you don't need to turn there, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, the the Apostle Paul um, gives a few words of encouragement to the church in Corinth. And, and, and this is what he says, and essentially. He says, you yourselves, speaking to the individual, are a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit dwells in you. And, and a few lines later, he goes on to say to the group that he is speaking to, you yourselves, corporately, we are God's temple, that he dwells in our midst. And so why be holy as he is holy? Because his holiness is already living inside of you, which makes this all possible. Jesus raises from the dead, he ascends into heaven, and during Pentecost, he sends his Holy Spirit, and it has been here ever since. And it is in you this morning, and that is why you are able to be holy as he is holy. So there's our why, but what does that look like? 
verse 45 here in, in Matthew chapter 5. The second half of verse 45 says this. If you have your Bibles and you're comfortable doing so, I would underline, highlight, circle this verse. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. This is God's holiness. That there is not a human on this earth that God has not put his son on. There is not a human that has, has been without the reign of God. Now this is both a literal sense, speaking to farmers and, and those who have enjoyed the sunshine the last couple of days and when we enjoy the rain and the spring and summer, have you ever noticed that the sun doesn't just shine on your front lawn? And it doesn't just rain in your backyard for your grass. God's majesty, his glory, his power, his forgiveness, his redemption is for all. This is holiness. And this is what shapes us. This is now the story that we claim. I am not here to change your behaviors. That's why I wasn't really concerned with talking about the, the cheek slapping and the, the clothes giving. I'm not really concerned about those behaviors, those actions. This is what I am concerned about. This is what I want you to hear is that your story is one of holiness, You come from a God, you have been created by a God that gives you the spirit to be holy like him. And this is what that holiness looks like, is that there is not a person on this earth that is off limits of the hope of Jesus Christ. There is not a soul that is off limits from the love of God. And that story is what I want to shape your actions. I don't know what your tomorrow holds. I don't know what this week is going to look like for you, but as you speak of other people, as you think of other people, as you navigate the marketplace, if you were to live in such a way that there was not a human being on this planet that was off limits to the hope of an abundant life in Jesus Christ then my, my, how Joliet, Illinois transforms. If there is not a human that is off limits from your love, if there is not a human that is off limits to your kindness, in the same way that there is not another human that was ever off limits to his son and and his reign, this is holiness. And this is the story that we receive together. This is what we have been adopted into as a community of hope at Joliet First. So this morning, um, we are going to come to the table. We say often here at Joliet First that you are what you eat. And so when we come to the table of communion, we remember the holiness of God that died for us, that makes all of this possible. So if you are one of our servers this morning for communion, I would ask you to, to come forward. 
In just a few moments, um, we are going to receive communion like we always do. Each and every single one of you are invited to come forward. Each and every single one of you are invited to, to this table. And, and as you take of the bread, and as you dip it in the juice, and as you eat, I would encourage you to remember that what we are doing in this moment is remembering the holiness of God. So this morning, let it be so that we become what we are about to eat. Would you pray with me? Lord, we are thankful for your heart. We are thankful that you are who you say you are and that you give us such a promise that we can be holy in the same way that you are holy. So Lord, as we enter into this time of communion, I ask that it would be so for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Come and eat when you are ready.
Have a great week.